0: So, this morning we're going to look at, as the title has indicated, we're going to look at Proverbs, some Proverbs that deal with the subject of devotion, that is, devotion to God. And devotion, if we could give a definition for it, is basically loving loyalty. Loving loyalty. Now, many people claim to be devoted to God, don't they? Many people claim uh, to be devoted to Him and, and they express that devotion whatever it is, in a variety of ways. But the question we want to ask is, what does true, dedicated loyalty to God really look like? You know, What is the kind of devotion that God desires? There's all sorts of devotion offered up to Him. What's the kind that He desires? Now, from what we've already covered in Proverbs, what we've already seen in Proverbs, we can say from the outset that true devotion is, True piety will only spring from a heart that fears the Lord. It will only spring from a heart that fears Him and trusts Him and receives His wisdom. And now we're going to consider some additional proverbs that is going to give us a a fuller understanding of what true devotion is as opposed to false devotion. And these proverbs are going to help us understand that there's a kind of devotion that God delights in. And there's a kind of devotion that God detests. So let's look at our, our first proverb, chapter 21, verse 3. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. This proverb gives us insight into the mind of God. It is a direct statement about what He desires, what His preference is, what is superior in His eyes, and therefore, what should be superior in our eyes, and what our priority should be. Doing righteousness, doing justice is more acceptable to God, more desirable than offering sacrifices to Him. This proverb is a restatement of the words of the prophet Samuel to Saul, the first king of Israel. If we went back to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, that's where we find the statement. And basically, Saul the king was commanded by God to carry out his judgment on a particular people and to wipe out this entire people, including all of their livestock. And Saul kind of obeyed and yet he spared their king and the best of their livestock. And he's coming along, and Samuel sees him, and he's like, I have fulfilled the command of the Lord. And he's like, what's the bleeding of sheep that I hear? I hear animal noises. What's going on? And basically, Samuel's words to Saul are as follows. His, his point that he gets across to Saul is this. He said to him, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Because Saul claimed that these extra livestock he was coming to offer as a sacrifice to God. Oh, okay. So I, I, didn't, I didn't kill him like God commanded because I'm going to offer him up to him as, as a sacrifice. Has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen... Than the fat of rams. So we can see that the term sacrifice, and as we see it in Proverbs, the term sacrifice refers to animal sacrifice. That is an animal that a person has presented to God and slaughtered as an act of worship. We don't do this today. The people of ancient Israel were commanded by God to offer animal sacrifices. In fact, God instituted a whole sacrificial system of worship that the nation of Israel was to uphold and observe, and this sacrificial system was part of His law for them. It was part of His law, which they were to live by. So God prescribed this system of worship, and the reason He did this was so that the Israelites, as sinful people could make atonement for their lives and maintain fellowship with him as he, the Holy One, God Almighty, dwelled in their midst. It was necessary. Sacrifices were by no means unimportant to God. They were not irrelevant to God. They had their place in the devotional life of God's people. They had their place. They were good. The sacrificial system served as a constant reminder for the people of Israel that the penalty of sin is death. That the shedding of blood was necessary for the forgiveness of sins and that a a sinner needs the life of another to be sacrificed in his place in order for him to be forgiven and reconciled to God, to have a relationship with God. Now, the animal sacrifices that the people of Israel repeatedly offered were only temporary coverings for their sin. And they foreshadowed the complete and sufficient sacrificial work of the coming Messiah who would be pierced for their transgressions, crushed for their iniquities, so that the righteous wrath of God due to them for their sins would be completely satisfied once and for all. So it was, it was a picture of what God was going to do and accomplish in the Messiah. So the animal sacrifices that God commanded of the people of Israel were supposed to be offered in faith out of a desire to maintain fellowship with God and as an expression of worship. Sacrifices in and of themselves, they were good and necessary. And God required them. And then above and beyond that, they could be offered just out, not that they were man, some were mandated, but sometimes they could just come and offer a sacrifice just as an act of, of praise, of thanksgiving to God. They were voluntary as well. However, sacrifices weren't what God desired first and foremost from His people. What He desired first and foremost from them was righteousness. Righteousness. While the law, I mean, if you go back and read it, and usually when we refer to the law, you could just say the first five books, the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy, the law of God is contained in there, and you'll see it. The, the law contains a lot of detail regarding God's requirements for sacrifices. It's very specific. The commands regarding ceremonial sacrifices, however, were never to overshadow God's central commands for his people. So a lot of detail going into the requirements of how you are to come before me in my presence to offer a sacrifice to me in a way that is acceptable to me. A lot of detail, but that was never intended to mean that it somehow is more important than these central commands that he's given his people, which are, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's a central command. That command is actually found in Leviticus which is replete with all these specifications about the sacrifices. But there's that command, you shall be holy. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. Also, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And Jesus affirmed that that is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. The second commandment is also found in Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So when we look back at Proverbs 21.3, what we see it's communicating is that righteous living is more important to God than religious ceremony. The devotion that God desires is the kind that prioritizes righteousness over ritual. David said in Psalm 11, the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. That's who he is. He is righteous, and therefore he loves righteousness. He loves righteous deeds. That's what he desires from his people. So you don't read in Scripture that the Lord loves rituals, the Lord loves ceremonies. I mean, he, he commands them, he requires them, he gives specifications. But that's not his, his desire, first and foremost desire from his people. He loves righteousness, he loves righteous deeds. You read that He loves righteousness and justice. That's what you read when you read Scripture. So when you assess your own level of devotion to God, do you focus primarily on your level of religious activity or on your level of righteous living? Think about that. Do we we think in terms of religious activity, church involvement, I'm involved, I'm active, or do we think in terms of am i submitting my life to god am i am i carrying out the things he's called me to do in, in every area of life am i am i practicing righteousness am i living righteously am i living in a manner that's worthy of him am i am i being more and more becoming more and more like jesus christ so the principle of proverbs 21:3 it, it applies to us today Even though animal sacrifices are not among our uh, outward displays of religious devotion. So you can scrap that. They're not part of our outward displays of religious devotion. But the principle is the same. Here's the general idea. God desires obedience more than he desires offerings. He desires your obedience more than he desires your offerings. The devotion that God desires is the kind that is expressed primarily through obedience. Consider the words of Jesus in John 14. He says this, If you love me, John chapter 14, verse 15, here's this statement, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he goes on to say, in verse 21 in chapter 14 of John, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them He it is who loves me. And in verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. Do you get the point he's getting across? Verse 24, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So the one who's not keeping his words does not love him. The one who loves him is the one who keeps his words, keeps his commandments. The Lord desires obedience more than He desires offerings. He desires godliness more than He desires gifts. He desires submission more than He desires singing. He desires purity more than He desires prayer. This is not to say that He wants one and not the other. It's it's not that He desires righteousness and not prayer, not saying oh, not all this, this stuff. No, he, he desires those things. But it's a matter of priority. What does he desire most and more? What God wants most from us should be our priority in our devotion to him. I'm devoted to the Lord, therefore my priority should be the thing that he wants most from me, which is righteousness. That is, righteous living, obedience. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, taught this in Matthew 5. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and again he's he's speaking to Jews. They're under the law. There's this the sacrificial system. So that's the context. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It's a matter of priority. And in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus condemned the religious leaders in Israel, the religious teachers. He said to them, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Let me be so meticulous in tithing, which God God has called us to tithe, I'm going to tithe my spice rack. Get the cumin, one tenth. I'm going to be so meticulous about this little thing, and I'm neglecting the greater thing that God is telling me to do. What He desires most: justice, mercy, faithfulness. Let me ask you: Is it easier just to, you know, if we were Israelites tithing, be easier to just tithe your spice rack, right, than to actually carry out and live? Uh, Carry out the commands that God's given you and live the way he's called you to to live. So you can see why the religiously superficial, those whose heart aren't truly right with God or devoted to him, well, they'll go, they'll opt for the the easier thing that displays, yeah, I'm, I'm religious, I love God, I tithe my cumin. And notice this too, what's very, what's very important, we can't miss this, is Jesus said the weightier matters of the law, some commands are far more important and should be a priority, right? It doesn't mean the other ones are not important. And he said, these you ought to have done, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the others. He wasn't telling them, why do you bother tithing? No, they were required to tithe without neglecting the others. So it's a matter of priorities. And let's, let's get an example for the church. We're going to take uh, communion. An example uh, for this principle that applies to us today, if we read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17, I mean, there, there's a passage where uh, Paul's addressing the matter of the Lord's Supper with the Corinthians. And basically, the point he makes there is that loving your brothers and sisters in Christ and not creating divisions among yourselves and not showing partiality to one another based upon economic status, rich, poor, shunning those who have less, that is more important than observing the Lord's Supper. So they would continue to observe the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner because they were treating each other this way. And guess what? God, God had caused some of them to become sick and kill them as judgment because that was detestable to Him. That they would treat each other that way and then somehow come and think that this is going to be Significant to him? So the priority is, and again, not without neglecting it, we're called to observe the Lord's Supper regularly. But the priority should be that we're loving one another. That's why he calls to examine yourself in that passage. Examine yourself, how you're treating one another in the body. That's more important to Christ. He died for every single person in the body of Christ in the church. So in the next proverb. We'll look at another one. The next one we're going to look at is chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. 15, verse 8. You can turn there. And here's what we'll see. We're going to see that any kind of Devotion that neglects and rejects righteousness and obedience to the Lord is not just deficient in God's eyes, but it is detestable to Him. It's not just deficient, it is detestable. Chapter 15, verse 8, Proverbs. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. That's a strong word. Abomination. To say that something's an abomination to the Lord means that it is utterly detestable and offensive to him. You know, just think about it, you know, you get a plate of horrendous food in your nostrils flare, right? You know, reel back, it is detestable. That's an abomination. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. To say it's acceptable to him, literally, it says in the Hebrew, it is his delight. The prayer of the upright is his delight. So what we see here are two kinds of people. A wicked person and an upright person. An upright person is someone whose heart truly fears the Lord and trusts in him. And a wicked person is someone whose heart is hardened in unbelief and rebellion towards the Lord. There's that distinction. Now, notice that both of these people are depicted as religious. They are both expressing devotion to the Lord. The God of Israel, the one true God. So the picture here is not of of a believing Israelite and some pagan Gentile. What are you doing here? Pagan stuff? That's disgusting. It's detestable to me. No, it's it's of two Israelites coming to the Lord, the God of Israel, the one true God, to offer their devotion. So we have two basically two professing believers, right? I mean, we don't we don't have like some kind of halo over our heads to know who's truly born again, who are the real saints here. We have, on the outward appearance, they profess to be believers. They profess devotion to the Lord. They're they're coming and either offering sacrifice or praying to the Lord. So they got that part right. It's directed in the right direction. One professes faith in the Lord, but has no interest in obeying the Lord and doing what is right according to the Lord. He is called wicked because his life is characterized by wickedness, sin, worldliness, and a lack of righteousness. The other professes faith in the Lord. He professes faith in the Lord as well. And he obeys the Lord, although imperfectly. Don't miss that. When we see the upright, the righteous, well, they're sinners who are imperfectly striving to submit their life to the Lord. This one is called upright because his life is characterized by righteousness, godliness, obedience to the Lord, and yes, repentance of sin repentance of sin his prayers his sacrifices his expressions of devotion to god are delightful to god what is then the litmus test for devotion that is delightful to god what's the litmus test what's like the one thing that indicates that's devotion that's delightful to god is it is it belief Is it sincerity? Is it consistency? Is it passion? No. The litmus test for devotion that's delightful to God is righteousness, obedience to God. That's how you can determine what kind of devotion is delightful to God as opposed to devotion that's detestable to him, that he rejects. So you may be thinking, isn't the litmus test faith? Isn't it faith? Isn't our faith in God what makes our devotion acceptable to Him? Or maybe you're thinking, isn't the litmus test love? Isn't it when we express our devotion out of genuine love for God that He delights in it? Well, that, I would say faith and love, well, that needs to be present, right? Is it the litmus test? Well, here's what I would say. Genuine faith in God produces good works. We read that in James not too long ago. We just kind of reiterated that point in our Scripture reading. And as far as love for God goes, genuine love for God is expressed through obedience to God. We just read what the Lord Jesus Christ said. He who has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. The righteousness of God that a sinner receives through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone will work its way out of that sinner in the form of righteous deeds. So again, we are justified. We are uh, counted as righteous before God by grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. That's, that's the righteousness of God credited to us. But that that's a real transaction and that's a real transformation that takes place we're born again and that righteousness of god that's credited to us starts to work its way out in our life as god sanctifies us and by the way it will good tree will bear good fruit the work of god that's done and is saving a sinner and giving him new life will begin to bear righteousness When we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, God made us new creations in Christ, did He not? We are, as the Apostle Paul said, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, God saved you for a purpose. Not just to pardon you you know, like the whole "get out of jail, get out of hell" card, "get out of jail" card. It's not just the pardoning that that is his grand purpose in saving you it is to save a people unto himself. That would be his own possession. That would be zealous for good works, and by doing that, they bring glory to him. And then in verse nine of Proverbs, the next verse, and again, you can kind of read these together. They reinforce one another. They add to our understanding of what's being communicated. Verse 9 says, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. The sacrifice of a wicked person is an abomination to the Lord because his way is an abomination to the Lord. His life, his lifestyle, his living. On the other hand, the prayer of an upright person is delightful to the Lord, Because his way is delightful to the Lord. He is indeed someone who is righteous by faith. Yes, he's righteous by faith, but the focus here is on his conduct. What he does, how he lives. He pursues righteousness. In the Hebrew, the word pursues is intensified, And this tells us that he is ardently pursuing righteousness. He is continually chasing it. He's passionately and fervently and eagerly and enthusiastically pursuing righteousness. Living righteously before God, in other words, is his priority. That's his goal. He's striving towards that because guess what? That's what pleases God. This devotion is the kind of devotion that God desires. Are you pursuing righteousness? Are you pursuing it? If you have been saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Scriptures say that Jesus gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. The Scriptures say that God's will is your sanctification. The scriptures say that God has predestined you to be conformed to the image of His Son. Are you pursuing Christlikeness? Is this your priority in your Christian walk? Is that the priority? The wisdom of Proverbs teaches us that that outward displays of religious devotion are, are worthless and empty and meaningless and, yes, detestable to God if one is not seeking to walk in obedience to God. Outward displays of religious devotion are worthless and empty and meaningless and detestable to God if one is not concerned with doing what is right and just and good towards others as God has commanded. It's not just living righteously before God, I mean, that involves righteousness towards others. Loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And we're under the law of Christ. We're not under the law of Moses. And the law of Christ is summed up in the command to love. Which, when worked out, is, is righteous. Here's the bottom line. Rituals, prayers, offerings, and songs are no substitute for godliness, no substitute and what I, what I want to do is is do a, a quick survey of some passages that really drive this point home that that help us see uh, the character of god this, this this desire of his is consistent throughout scripture in Isaiah chapter one, and again for for the sake of time we're not going to look at there's so many we can go to but these are powerful passages to understand this truth this this the fact that God desires first and foremost from his people righteousness obedience holiness here's what and we're going to look at some of the prophets and the prophets are basically the covenant enforcers they're coming to say hey when the people of God are turning away from the law God's sending the prophet and he's like hello what are you doing you need to repent Get back to obeying the law. It warned them. That's primarily what you're seeing in the prophets. And, it's, and here's the thing. You read the first five books of the Bible, that's like the backbone of Scripture, and that'll, that'll solidify your understanding of what's going on in the Old Testament. Because everything that's happening there is going right back to, what are the people of God doing? They're turning away from Him. They're, they're no longer walking in obedience to the law. He's sending these prophets, calling them back. Every, all this bad stuff that's happening to them is because in the law it said, if you do not obey, these are the consequences that are come. You obey, hear the blessings. So we'll see some of this. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 13 through 17. And again, we're, we're kind of starting in the middle of this just for the sake of time. Prophet Isaiah, the Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, says this to Israel bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. That statement right there. God cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Sinful, Sinfulness, wickedness, and formal gatherings of worship. He can't stand that. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. By the way, these are things that that are part of the law that he commanded them to do. The festivals, the new moon, the Sabbath, the sacrifices. But he's saying, my soul hates these. What's going on? They've become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn. So here's put off the evil. Put away the sin and replace it with this. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. That's righteous living. Prophet Jeremiah. Chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. The Lord, through the prophet Jeremiah, says, Hear, O earth. Behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people. Oh yeah, the people of God. That's judgment. Upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they have not Paid attention to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it. What use is frankincense that comes from Sheba or sweet cane from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices pleasing to me. But didn't you know that frankincense came from Sheba and that's like top grade quality? Sweet Cain, I mean, that was from a distant land. Right? So it's more worshipful, right? What use is that? You, they have not paid attention to my words. Amos, chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. This is actually a, a, a favorite of mine. Again, just as someone who, who leads congregational singing and music, it's, it's a good reminder, this, this principle here. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Check this next one out. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. Get that noise away from it's noise. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. So again, these things—it's not that God doesn't desire these he, these things: the singing, the offerings, the sacrifices, these assemblies before Him to worship Him. But what He desires is righteous living obedience to his his law his commands to be living the way he's called you to so that that gives substance and meaning to those expressions of worship and devotion last one last one micah chapter 6 verse 6 through 8 with what shall i come before the lord and bow myself before god on high shall i come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Notice this is just to the the most extreme lengths of what you can offer God. in the most abundant or the most costly. And here's the answer, verse 8. He has told you, O man, What is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? You see, so at the end of the day, the central commands are pretty simple and straightforward as far as we understand them. We get that. That should be our priority. God's desire and demand that His people live righteously. It wasn't isolated, by the way, to those who lived under the law of Moses, to the ancient Israelites. I mean, we read all those prophetic texts. This this principle, this truth that we're considering this morning has always been true. It comes from God's very nature, and He does not change. He is righteous. He loves righteousness and justice. He loves righteous deeds. Let me give you an example of this. Before the law, way back in time, before the law, to Abraham... When God called Abraham, he called him out. I mean, this is grace. He called him out of his paganism. You leave your land, your family, your kin, your tribe. Go to the land that I'm going to show you. And he promises to give him this land and descendants as numerous as the stars and blessing upon blessing. He just promised to do this thing. This is grace. And in chapter 15, we see that when God reiterated this promise to make Abraham's descendants as numerous as the stars, Abraham believed the Lord, and the statement is he believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. So he's a man saved by grace. He's a man who is righteous through faith. See, that hasn't changed, has it? Now listen what he says later in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And then in the following chapter, 18, verse 13, For I have chosen him, that him Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. You see, so he didn't say, Abraham, this is grace. This is, you are righteous through faith, buddy. You don't have anything to worry about. Just sit back and relax. Wait till I give you all these good things. Well, no, he's, he's showering grace upon him. He's crediting righteous to him because of his faith. And yet he's also saying, commanding him to walk righteously, to live righteously. And it teaches kin to do the same. His, his children and the generations after him. And now let's fast forward after the law to the church. And again, we've already seen what the Lord Jesus has said, and we can look at First John. Here's another passage that'll reiterate the fact that, that the very same principle applies to us today in the church. First John, chapter two, verse three through six. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, "I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which Christ walked, which was righteously righteous. Now we're going to consider one final example. Proverb in closing. Chapter 28, verse 9, which says this. I want to turn there. Chapter 28, verse 9. This proverb says if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. The devotion that God desires is the kind that prioritizes righteousness. That's what we're, we're getting across this morning. We're getting from God's wisdom. How do we know what is right? How do we know what righteousness looks like? How do you know? Is it just you kind of think, though well, this feels right. I think God thinks this is right. No, we, we look to the law of God. We look to His instruction, His Word. God's Word is our perfect, objective standard of morality. His Word instructs us in the way of righteousness. So here's what Proverbs 28.9 is basically saying. We have prayer, which is our communication to God. Prayer is our communication to God. And then the law, which is basically referencing His written Word. That's His communication to us. We're not waiting for a soft voice. You know, we, we, we have his word. He's communicating to us through his word. If we refuse to hear his word, he will refuse to hear our prayer. That's the basic idea. If we refuse to hear God through his word, then, then he will refuse to hear our prayer. And again, unless that's a prayer of confession and repentance, of the fact that you haven't been listening to God's word, and you want to live rightly and submit your, your ways to him. And I want to share one uh, commentator's comment on this, this particular proverb. He says this, We must not miss, again, talking about Proverbs 28, verse 9, If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. He says, We must not miss the force of this condemnation. Prayer is meant to be a drawing near to God with adoration, confession, and supplication, requests to God. Solomon says that when the person praying is one who turns a deaf ear to God's law, even his prayer, even that act meant to win God's heart, is unspeakably repulsive to God. While biblically defined prayer is a wonderful and vital thing, it is easily abused. It is itself a no-commitment endeavor, right? And do you understand what's going on? I mean, it's easy for you to pray. You can do it right now. It's so easy. So it's a no-commitment endeavor. A person can pray heartily and often while walking in stubborn defiance of God and His Word. Worse, the deluded individual can comfort himself that he is a great and godly man because, after all, he prays. And prayer is we are endlessly told it's a powerful thing. Well, yes, it is. But guess what? When any of that is offered as a substitute for obedience, a substitute for righteousness in the place of godliness, well, that, that is not a powerful thing at all. That is a detestable thing to God. And that's why, as an illustration, uh, yesterday, two daughters in the, the Kovacs household, who shall remain nameless, had an, you know an altercation. One daughter plowed the other daughter over, pushed her down. And the mother (laughs) said to the the offending party to apologize, ask for forgiveness, make this right. And this daughter uh, decided that she didn't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And then mommy said, well, okay, well then, how about we pray and ask God to help you change your heart so that you can do what is right. And, you know, after some resistance to this whole process, she came out and said, she wants to pray. Okay. And as they began to pray, she, uh, I guess, went ahead and as they're praying, stomped on the foot of the daughter. So what's, what's the issue here? I mean, again, that's just a picture, but it kind of shows you just the, the human nature, depravity of man, even in ch- children. Uh, but prayer is easy, isn't it? And sometimes we we'll say, well, I'll, do, I'll, just, I'll just pray. God, forgive me for that thing I did. And not actually try to make things right. It's easier to just come to God in prayer. And, I the, and so me doing all the sermon prep, it's all fresh in my mind. Now, daughter, you know that when you pray to God and you have no desire to do what is right to God, that prayer is an abomination to God. Or, you know, he doesn't, like, he doesn't want to hear that prayer. <laughs> I know I, I'll get better, you know, speak to them as they can understand. But you, do you see the idea there? What does God want? Now, first of all, he'd want you to not plow your sister over and knock her down on the ground. That's not righteousness. But that's sin. Okay, but when sin happens, we respond to it rightly, righteously, which is uh, repenting, confessing it, asking for forgiveness, making things right with your neighbor, your sister. Um, and you can pray to God for help in doing that, but if there's no, if there's an intention of doing that, And that prayer is what? It's it's empty, meaningless, and yes, it's even detestable that you would offer up that in place of doing what God's called of you. So listen, God wants your prayers. God wants your offerings. God wants your singing. God wants you to be present when your local church assembles. God wants you to observe the Lord's Supper, which we're about to do, but not in place of obedience to his word. Make Righteousness your priority. Make Christ-likeness your goal. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare uh, for communion, Lord, we we just ask for your help in this very thing that we've been thinking about and considering from your word, the fact that you desire most from us righteousness, justice, faithfulness, kindness, mercy, all obedience to your word, which is good and which is for our good, that we may love you and love one another. May that be our priority. May that be our goal. May we pursue, be a people who pursue righteousness, that that is our priority. Help us to do that, especially now as we consider the costly sacrifice of your Son who came into this world to purchase us as a people unto himself to be purified and zealous zealous for good works.